Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Now I can preach it like this, okay? Repent! Or I can tell you, change your mind. Preaching repentance in the area of consciousness of sins is dishonoring the work of Jesus. Repentance means you realize you're guilty, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God. You begin to realize that sin is in you, and you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, and you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after Christ. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you are not familiar with the doctrines of discovery, you might want to start boning up Lickety Split. This is Wretched Radio, a trilogy of books that all have the same theme, written by, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit choked up. The fellow who authored these books is a graduate from a Southern Baptist theological, not the Southern Baptist, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has a religion degree from Emory University, and he's written three books you should know about, Christian, because not only is your nation being, uh, your nation's history being rewritten, but this is an assault on Christendom. And we need to know what this fellow is propagating. The three books are The End of White Christian America, White Too Long, and now The Hidden Roots of White Supremacy. And his thesis is that all of the racism that we have seen throughout the centuries in America actually have their genesis in documents that were written 500 years ago by the Roman Catholic Pope called the Doctrines of Discovery. I was hoping that we could ignore uh, this fellow and his effort to uh, rewrite, especially Christian history. Um, But this is gaining a little bit of traction. So we need to understand just what exactly are the Doctrines of Discovery to help us do that. The Reverend Historian Dr. Mr. What is your title exactly? Jesse Johnson, Emanuel Bible Church. He's a graduate of the Master's Seminary. His thesis was on the distinctions between American slavery and slavery in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. So, Dr. Reverend, Je- what do you like to be called? Pastor Jesse is great. Pastor Jesse. Yeah, there you All go. Right, Pastor Dr. Reverend Jesse. This fellow is now out on the stump, and he is making a lot of claims against Christianity regarding the doctrines of discovery. I'd like to play for you several snippets from his interview on an MSNBC program for you to explain to us what these doctrines are and if Protestants actually have any culpability or anything, frankly, to repent of. This is Robert P. Jones. He is the author of The Hidden Roots of White Supremacy. So what it is, is it's a set of 15th century Christian doctrines that were designed to answer the problem of what do we do with all these people we just encountered in these lands that we didn't know about, right, right. in the 1400s. And so who do they, who do the uh, Christian princes uh, and queens and kings appeal to, but the head of the Christian church? Well, that's an interesting Adjective. (laughs) Let's start there, Pastor Jesse. The Christian church in the 1400s, the 1500s. What church exactly is he referring to? 
Well, this is, of course, before the Protestant Reformation, 1400s. It's the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, the Pope has elevated himself over the kings of Portugal and Spain and, and Italy and the, the, you know, France and the ruling world there. This is the age of exploration. So these countries are sending explorers around the world, and there's conflict in that. There's competing agendas in that. And the Pope is trying to exercise authority over that. He's giving them permission, so to speak, uh, to go and colonize the world. And these series, it's a series of documents actually called the doctrines of discovery. And it's basically the Pope favoring Spain and Portugal over England uh, and, and France, allowing them to subjugate people. Uh, the Pope tells them, if you find people that aren't Christian, and what he means by that is there, there's not already English uh, presence there. They're not Christianized. Then you can put crosses there. You can establish the Catholic Church there. We're going to adopt them into the Catholic Church to expand the, the reach of the Catholic Church around the world. But this most certainly isn't Christian. You know, this is, again, pre-Protestant Reformation, but that doesn't amalgamate all Christians in the world under the authority of the Pope because it was before the 15, you know, 1517. The reason for the Protestant Reformation is the abuses of the Catholic Church were going unchecked. And these are some of the abuses, the Pope elevating himself as the arbiter of globalization and colonization is too far. And so this is one of the motivating factors of the Reformation. So when Robert P. Jones says the head of the Christian church, clearly it is the Roman Catholic church, but he does try to counter you before he knew that you were going to talk about this by simply dismissing the distinction between Roman Catholic and Protestant. This is before the Catholic Protestant split. So it is a Christian doctrine of all of Western Europe. Jesse, as a Protestant, do I need to accept the responsibility of the decisions of the Pope in the 1400s? No, you do not. And as as a Protestant or as a Christian, you would say the doctrines of the Bible are Christian doctrines. The inventions of man, uh, you know, may or may not correspond with Scripture. And as much as they fail to correspond with Scripture, they're to be rejected. And such is the case of many of the Catholic doctrines that came from the 1400s and the 1500s with the Council of Trent and all this. I mean, so much of what the Catholic Church is doing during this hundred year span uh, is anathema. And I say anathema like the book of Galatians, like it is a different gospel. It should be anathematized. It is is illegitimate. And to take the worst of that and say, oh, because it was pre-1517, Christians today bear some kind of moral responsibility or culpability for what Pope Nicholas V did or whatever in the 1450s is kind of outrageous. Now, we could easily just brush this under the carpet by saying, oh, that was the Catholic Church. Nevertheless, I don't think critics make that distinction. But our first response, I do believe, to this representation of history would be to say, you need to make a distinction between the Roman Catholic Church. This is one of the reasons why Protestants are Protestants. The Pope's edicts, the Pope's doctrines are not embraced by Protestants. So if you do have a concern or an accusation, bring it to the Vatican, but you can't lay it at the doorstep of Protestants. So I think that that could be our first response. However, what I'd like to pursue further with you, Jesse, is responding to what these things are, to have an understanding of the the doctrines of discovery so that we can either say, you know what, Robert P. Jones, we affirm your critiques, or no, you're just not seeing this historically accurately. So let's take a listen to how he describes just what these doctrines of discovery were to see if his history is accurate, his accusation now 
is that these doctrines were used for an awful lot of terrible behavior toward people who were not, you guessed it, Christians. A characteristic is whether or not these people are Christian or not. Uh, if they are not Christian and if they are not already subjugated by a Christian uh, power, then they essentially have no human rights. Did the doctrines of discovery subjugate people and remove any sort of human rights? Well, I think it goes too far to say it removes any sort of human rights, but certainly, you know, newsflash, a lot of the, of what the conquistadores did was very bad. You know, the Spanish and, uh, as they settled the new world, you remember the stories, I'm sure Cortez burns his boats, takes his men ashore and tells them, you know, we're going to conquer this land or, or we're going to die. I mean, there's nobody here to help us. It's, it's us and it's victory or, or death. And they do con, uh, conquest the, the Aztec empire. You know, he brought some slaves with him. He didn't by and large bring women with him. He really did bring uh, the sword to the land to take over modern day Mexico and, uh, you know, some of the American Southwest. So there were a lot of terrible things that came from the Spanish exploration. And this is, it stands in stark contrast, by the way, with the way the Puritans uh, settled in the new world. The Puritans settled in the new world not under the authority of the doctrine of discovery, of course not. The Puritans settled in the New World with this idea of human rights, this idea of a government under God. Uh, the Puritans settled in the New World with the idea that you could win the consciences of people, that conversion happens by uh, by free will, so to speak, by people surrendering their life to the truths of scripture. This is such a stark contrast with the way the Spanish exploration went, not just in Mexico, but all the way around the world in the Philippines, you know, build a cross and declare everybody a Christian and, and, and bring them in. It's just two different worlds we're talking about, literally. All right. Now, the understanding of colonialization, I think, is important. Should we Protestants embrace the concept, the historical concept of colonialization or say, no, that's maybe something the Catholic Church endorsed, but that's not something that the Bible would teach. Are we for or against colonialization as we understand it? Well, that's very complicated. I mean, it happens. The, the King of England colonized uh, the United States, split them up into literal, actual colonies. And there's as many different motives for that as there were colonies at bare minimum. I mean, all these colonies had different flavors and different virtues and vices in all of them. And you don't, you want to be careful not to whitewash America's founding and say, oh, like, this is all, this is all good. You know, everything, everybody had good motives. There was no abuse of the Indians, no abuse of slaves. And of course, that's, that's not true. So, so I think Christians would do well if they were very clear about what they're talking about. You know, slavery, bad and sinful. The exploitation of, of the Indians and the orphans even further down in the southern parts of the United States, very bad and sinful. What the Catholics did, by and large, very bad and sinful. But this is globalization. It's this, this idea that we have to conquer the world for the glory of the Catholic Church. Uh, and of course, or for the glory of the King of England, the glory of the crown. And I mean, that happens. Now, there were Christians in the midst of that. They were fighting some of the abuses of it. You got the brethren up in, in Europe during the, the age of the doctrine of discovery. Not everybody bought in. You know, the brethren were pushing back against this. There's whole groups of Christians that were rejecting slavery and rejecting the subjugation of, of, of people. So it's a very complicated issue in every part of the world. That is why we need to do our best to be good historians, because right now, America and Christendom are on trial, courtesy of a man named Robert P. Jones. His book 
is pretty straightforward. The hidden roots of white supremacy can be laid on the doorstep of the Roman Catholic Church. Let's continue understanding history with our special guest, the Reverend, the pastor of Emmanuel Bible Church, Jesse Johnson, next on Wretched Radio. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry. Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry. 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Have you ever felt like you're on an emotional roller coaster? It's okay to admit it because we've all been there and some of us are there now. Well, saddle up, buckle up, strap up, whatever it is you prefer. Just tune in to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. It's the podcast you quite possibly have been waiting for because it's the place where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear come face to face with the Bible. And don't expect Dr. Gifford to just read scripture. No, he wrestles with it and applies it to challenges we all face. Trust me, this podcast, it's a game changer. And it must be for me to say game changer because I loathe that phrase. But that's exactly what Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford is. It'll help you and it will empower you to help others too. You'll be throwing out biblical wisdom like you're in Solomon's Court. New episodes, they drop every Saturday morning at transform.org slash podcast or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Trust me, you'll be glad you listened. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles and the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines, but they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Important dates in Christian history. 64 AD. After fire ravages Rome, Emperor Nero blames Christians and unleashes the first state-sanctioned persecution of Christians. Roman persecution would continue for 250 years until Emperor Constantine officially recognized and defended Christianity. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Why? 
are there so many atrocities committed amongst the ethnic groups these days? According to one author, uh, the problem lies at the doorstep of Christendom. This is Wretched Radio. Robert P. Jones, his book, The Hidden Roots of White Supremacy, basing his premise that America is racist due to the doctrines of discovery, which were Roman Catholic papal edicts for the expansion of Portugal and Spain into the Americas, telling them that they have papal permission to go about the business of subjugating and even enslaving people. And it is that set of documents, according to Robert P. Jones, that really is the foundation of everything racially wrong in our country. This is a rewriting of American history. This is also a rewriting of Christian history. And we do well to understand history so that we can respond when these arguments catch on and they do catch on. And we need to be ready to respond to them. Our guest today is Dr. Jesse Johnson. He's the pastor at Emanuel Bible Church, graduate of the Master's Seminary. His doctoral thesis, The Distinction Between American Slavery and Biblical Slavery, both Old and New Testaments, helping us to respond to the people who will parrot what Robert P. Jones is saying uh, in interviews on MSNBC. It goes on to explicitly spell out that they have the right to occupy, conquer, kill, steal their goods. And then this phrase like uh, is like literally in the document, you know, some of these still ring in my head, and to reduce their persons to perpetual slavery, right? This is in the document from the highest power of the Christian church uh, in, in the late uh, 1400s. That's Robert Jones. He's explaining the uh, doctrines of discovery as he understands them. The host of this particular MSNBC program, Joy Reid, she affirmed heartily what he was saying and continued writing some history. And colonizers to try to enslave indigenous people, to wipe them out, if they resist in any way, and to enslave Africans. That's how they do it, and still in their minds, advance the interests of Christianity. Dr. Johnson, is that a correct representation of the doctrines of discovery? And have those documents been used throughout the centuries for, for instance, according to this host, African slavery on American shores? Yeah, I mean, yes, in some sense, the Portuguese did exploit slaves and export slaves from Africa into the New World. The Spanish did colonize Central America and Mexico up up into the American Southwest, and they did so often very brutally. And, you know, this is this should not be late breaking news for us that the slave trade was terrible and that the global colonization, especially as led by the Catholic Church, was particularly barbaric. To package it as white supremacy, though, is a little bit anachronistic uh, because you think, how did it actually play out? You know, the Spanish landed again without. They didn't bring women with them, by and large. They did bring slaves. Uh, they married into the, the the Aztec women. They started what's called La Raza to this day, which is the Hispanic race. Uh, and that's the whole, you know, what we call Hispanics now come back, you know, trace their lineage back to that. The word in Spanish is La Raza. It's this new race that that starts. And so to say it's a form of white supremacy is a little bit 
odd. And but that plays out in America today. You know, are Hispanics white? I mean, that's just a pretty basic race relations question in the United States today. That's impossible to answer, and that's largely owing to what the you know the history of what it means to be Hispanic and this kind of global conquest led by the Catholic Church. But I, I recoil at the idea that. Christians have a Christian morality that's at play in this. Again, the Christians were by and large opposed to this and often uh, advocated for the abolition of slavery. Not always, but many did. And if you look at the Bible, it's better to tie Christian ethics to the Bible than it is to the lowest or the worst of the bad popes from that era. So there, there's really, I think, two fronts that need to be defended as accurately as we can. Number one, is that all of Christendom affirmed this behavior. That is just flat out wrong. This was a Roman Catholic doctrine, not a Protestant dogma. We Protestants had an entirely different view on coming to foreign shores. Uh, so I, I think that's at play. But it's, it seems that there's also an assault on all America that throughout the centuries now, because of the doctrines of discovery, that somehow it appears that he's trying to make the case that because of Christendom, we're all really, really racist. Am I picking up what he's laying down correctly? Yeah, you are. There's elements of that, especially, I mean, you follow the Catholic explorers around the world and their conquest of the Philippines, for example, stands out of this. The Catholic Church just you know, brought in all of these gods. They were chameleons. They took on the forms of wherever they were. They bring in the Virgin Guadalupe Hidalgo into the, the Catholic churches, the Virgin Mary. They do the same thing in, in the Philippines. They are expanding in that way. And so they, in that sense, it is kind of a conquest. It was used to justify slavery. I mean, there were terrible things that, that came from that. But again, uh, it's not that every Christian was opposed to this. It's just it's so different from biblical ethics and what the Bible commands that to now tie people today. And what Robert Jones is doing with this is he's making a political argument about, uh, you know, the ascendancy of President Trump and all that. And he's trying to connect that to slavery. And that's just it's just not historically accurate. That's not how you can't connect those dots. It's just so so different than to say a political party today is where they are because of the doctrines of discovery from, you know, the 1400s. All right. So here's this is this is where he's going to take the argument. Now, this particular interview that took place with him was in The Guardian. And he said this, go back and understand they really do believe that this country was divinely ordained to be promised land for European Christians. So manifest destiny because of that. That idea is so old and so deep, it explains in many ways the visceral reactivity. Why are we fighting today about AP African-American history? Why are we not wanting to accept history? It's because even today, apparently we Christians believe in the concept of manifest destiny. This was a nation that was founded for the propagation of the Christian gospel. Is it fair for him in any level to make that connection? Uh, how much time do we have? I mean, there's <laughs> that teaching from the doctrines of discovery did get incorporated into American law, uh, largely as a justification for taking 
taking land from Indians. Again, there's so many different competing uh, motives behind what people are doing. Uh, the U.S. did take take land from from Indians. You have the President Andrew Jackson who's saying, you know, the Supreme Court said not to do it. Let's now see them enforce it. You've got the Trail of Tears where they're marching people across the country. I mean, that stuff happened, and it was wrong, and it was it, it was immoral. And I think Christians, if your eth- if your ethics are built on the Word of God, you're not having to like fight against the lowest parts of history uh, in order to defend the Bible. The Bible defends itself and puts together a, a scheme of morality that is superior to the ebbs and flows of any particular any particular generation. So I would say quite quite clearly that uh, the Bible teaches an ethics and a morality that is contrary to the exploitation of people, contrary to what happened uh, in the Americas in large part to the, the Catholic exploration, and even through the exploitation of people that you saw with slavery in the American colonies. And ultimately, I would, I would insist, I know this is disputed, but I would insist that ultimately it was a biblical ethic and a biblical worldview that led to the downfall of slavery, led to its, uh, you know, eradication and its it, the outlawing of it. it. You can't, it's too naive to say that Christianity is responsible for the propagation of slavery and has nothing to do with its downfall. You know, you need to understand that the Bible was written before American slavery. It defines how you interact with people. It describes what it means to be in the image of God and gives ethics to govern society. Let's make a YouTube short. I'm going to ask you a question and then you are going to respond in 45 seconds. In other words, you're going to help us respond when people bring these similar accusations to us because history is big. It's complicated. So let's simplify this. So Pastor Jesse Johnson, according to Robert P. Jones, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they printed some documents called the Doctrines of Discovery that allowed Roman Catholics, the Portuguese and the Spanish, to invade America and to put people in slavery. And that is the reason America has a horrible history regarding racism. Go. Well, America does have a horrible history involving racism, largely because of our history with slavery and certainly the Catholic doctrine of, of you know, exploration and that allowed the conquistadors to come and do what they did was you know, led to some of that immorality and uh, the barbaric things that happened. That doesn't put Christians on the hook for that, some kind of form of white supremacy, anything like that at all. Uh, you know, the Bible gives you an ethic that you govern your life by, and you don't need to get drafted in to everything the Catholic Church, for goodness sakes, did in the 1400s. That was, that was, wow, you hit your mark. That was pretty pithy for a preacher. <laughs> Jesse Johnson, it's a super fine church. You're in Arlington, correct? Yeah, Alexandria, so just south okay. of the Pentagon. So you're, you're, re- you're real close to Washington, D.C. It's Emmanuel Bible Church. He's also an author at Cripplegate, which is always a beneficial site to visit. And he has written his doctoral thesis on the distinction between American slavery and biblical slavery. Let's tackle that next on Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Let's begin with a story that highlights pretty striking double standard in our justice system. Five pro-life activists have been convicted of felony conspiracy and violation of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. The repercussions? Well, each could face up to 11 years in prison and fines up to $350,000. 
Meanwhile, our fair and honorable Department of Justice appears to have, well, rather selective enforcement policies because they've shown leniency towards Black Lives Matters rioters. And of course, you remember them turning the blind eye to violence during the 2020 summer of unrest. <laughs> Consistency within our government. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. On a different note, the homeschooling trend in Texas is, well, on fire, with nearly 30,000 students in grades 7 to 12 withdrawing from public schools since 2021. Safety concerns, parental involvement, and school environment are the driving exodus. In fact, homeschooling in Texas nearly tripled between the spring and fall of 2020. Of course, noting that that was during the middle of the whole pandemic upswing, but still, regardless, it looks like the majority of those students never went back. Now to California, where the state holds the honor of having the highest poverty rate in the United States. Not sure how much of an honor that is, but despite being the hub of tech billionaires and movie stars, 13.2% of the state's residents are experiencing poverty. But of course, California is not the only state with those types of issues. The median household income in the United States has dropped for the third consecutive year, all thanks to the inflation that you better not call a recession happening in this country. The numbers have tumbled to just under $74,600, making a decline of over 2%. And here's a little behind the curtains for you. Most of the time, as I relay these news stories to you, I don't use a ton of the original story other than just to get the gist of what's there. And most of the things I disagree with, I just leave out totally. But this one... <laughs> No, I couldn't leave it out. The story says, while it's difficult to point the finger at any one individual. Yeah, I would point the finger at one individual. Finally, our last story takes us to Pakistan, where a Christian couple finds themselves imprisoned after accusations of, get this, blasphemy. The evidence held against them? Well, pages of the Quran were found on top of the couple's roof. What were people doing on the couple's roof when they weren't home? That's the first question I have. And the couple's three young children are now living with another Christian family. And it is a reminder that we should continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The Gospel is present throughout all of Scripture, beginning with the book of Genesis. Immediately after the fall, God promises a Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent. Even in the Garden of Eden, God was preparing the means of our salvation through Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Does the Bible endorse slavery? This is Wretched Radio. Uh, Pastor Jesse Johnson, Emanuel Bible Church, also author at Cripplegate, outstanding website. You should visit it regularly. I plagiarize from him regularly. Although, unlike, I don't know, some preachers, I'm actually willing to give you credit, Jesse, <laughs> for the great writing that you do. Well, these days, you know, plagiarism doesn't seem to be a big deal. Your doctoral thesis was on the distinction between American slavery and biblical slavery, both Old and New Testaments. Let's see what, if any, distinctions there are between those two industries to see how Christians respond to the accusation that the Bible supports 
American slavery. So the big generalization, let's start there. What is the big difference or differences between American slavery and the slavery that we read about in the Bible? Well, American slavery at its core is the kidnapping and ownership of an individual in perpetuity. I mean, that's kind of the, the essence of American slavery. Biblical slavery in the Old Testament, certainly that existed in some of the Canaanite areas and, and some of the, the pagan nations. But in Israel, right in the Torah, in the book of Exodus, central to the Israelite understanding of slavery is that Israel would have a form of slavery, largely for the protection of the slaves themselves. It would be capped at six years of service as a slave. If a slave ran away from their master, they were granted freedom. It was a, it was a, against the Torah to send a, a runaway slave back to his, his former owner or master. Like that was against the law. If a slave was injured, he was granted his freedom or abused, he was granted his freedom. He got his freedom after six years. Uh, it was a capital crime. In, in the Torah, to be found in possession of somebody kidnapped for the purpose of slavery. So if you stole somebody for slavery and you were found in possession of that person, you would be put to death. So that right away shows the fundamental distinction between slavery in Israel and slavery in the United States. If that most basic part of Old Testament slavery was followed in the United States, there would have been no American right. slavery. With, with that generalization, you did say that this was primarily done for the protection of the slaves. Unpack that. Well, it, I mean, one of the most common ways that somebody entered slavery was through through debt. They would be owing somebody uh, a debt and they couldn't pay. And you just think of like, think of kind of the middle-aged stories of the debtor's prison where people are thrown in there until they can pay their debt, which of course is an impossibility. Israel structured around that by saying you could become a slave to to uh, alleviate your debt with a maximum term of six years. On the seventh year, you were granted your freedom. You had to have enough of your supplies to, to start a new life. And if you wanted to, after that seventh year, to return to your master, you could return to your master. You could go in willingly and say, I love Yahweh and I love my master in front of a priest who, who puts the, the nail through your ear at the doorpost and there's witnesses to this, so it wasn't uh, compulsory. This was all designed to protect the family unit and to, uh, and to protect the livelihood of the slaves. Uh, those that enter into it because of their own debt. This was not God's design for people. And Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians 7, where, you know, Paul says, listen, freedom is better than slavery. We all understand that. But people found themselves in slavery uh, through various circumstances and injury, widowhood, selling your kids. You think of uh, 2 Kings 4, where the woman says, you know, she's weeping and she's like, my husband's died. My kid can't afford uh, to work yet. I'm going to lose my kids to slavery. It was, the, it was designed in that sense to alleviate the debt. And so Christian ethics or Old Testament biblical ethics come in and say, we're not just going to let families be ripped apart. We're not going to let people spend the rest of their life in slavery. We're going to give some guidance to this that masters have to provide for their slaves for a period of six years as really a way to foster a kind of healthy environment in Israel. That made Israel, by the way, stand out from the other nations. The nations around them had slaves without protections, without rights. You know, they run away, they get beaten, they get killed, et cetera. Their kids are enslaved forever. Israel was just fundamentally different from that. Deuteronomy 4 says that's one of the reasons the nations are going to come to Israel and see God's wisdom and how they structured their government. That would be the difference between, uh, we'll say, Old Testament slavery and 
and the Mosaic laws that govern that institution and relationship, probably a better word, and American slavery. So American slavery, man selling forever till you die, mistreatment and, and, and not being treated with a great deal of dignity versus. Yeah. And even in American slavery, I don't want to jump in on you here, but even in American slavery, there's this whole deprivation of rights that in Israel slavery wasn't there. I mean, you think of the fourth commandment right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment applies the day of rest to you, your slaves, any visitors, any foreigners in your household. Like that is in the Ten Commandments. It's not confined to the fourth commandment. The idea is that God's commandments apply to all within Israel equally and without discrimination, even those who are enslaved. Old Testament, Moses. Law. Let's fast forward to the New Testament because, of course, we have the book of Philemon. This is Paul sending a slave who had escaped, apparently run away, who got saved. How talk about problems? Yeah. Sends him you know, back. You, What's the difference between the institution that we read about in the New Testament versus what's described and defined in the Mosaic laws? Well, the New Testament. Greco-Roman Empire, Romans, very bad. The Romans took people into slavery by conquering their city. You rebelled against Rome, the whole city could be enslaved. They did kidnap people all the way around, you know, North Saharan Africa, put them into slavery. They, you know, brought in slaves from England and the British Isles. So the, the Romans definitely did kidnap people, sell them into slavery, treat them like property, deprive them of rights and all of that. The church is growing up in the middle of that. So it's fascinating to see how Paul interacts with that. I mean, first of all, the New Testament takes the concept of slavery and applies it to Christians and and positively and negatively. You know, you were a slave to God, a slave to sin through your redemption, which is a slave market term. The word redemption is a word from the slave market where somebody would purchase somebody with a cost from the slave market. The Bible speaks of us as slaves to sin, redeemed by Christ. God chose us paid for us, ransomed us. We now have our freedom, but in our freedom, we're now a doulos and Christos. We're a slave of Christ uh, as, as a Christian. So you have freedom from the law, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the slavery of sin, but you have a new master who cares for you and loves with you, Christ. Now the ethics then, as that relates, Throughout the New Testament, you know, Paul didn't lead the charge to overthrow Roman Roman slavery. It would not have been in his capacity to do. Had that been his goal, he could not have achieved it. But instead, Paul really does undercut uh, and undermine the Roman institution of slavery by what happens in Philemon. You know, Anisimus is a slave runs away. He's useful. Anisimus is a pun. He's useful to Paul. Paul finds him as useful and then sends him back to Philemon. You know, Paul could have kept Anisimus forever and ever with a clean conscience. After all, the Old Testament law forbid him from sending Anisimus back as a runaway slave. And yet Paul undermines the whole institution of Roman slavery by sending Anisimus back. And he sent him back and he told Philemon, you need to receive him as an equal, you need to receive him as somebody who's helpful to me and useful to me. And so it's worth thinking, like, what does that look like as a slave owner, a runaway slave, you're supposed to receive him as an equal in the church. This letter is going to be read to the whole church and they're all going to hear this. All eyes are now going to go to Philemon. I mean, what's he going to do? And you can see how that ethic, if you are living with that ethic, you cannot maintain the Roman system of slavery for very long. It eventually will be undermined within the church. You know, who cares about the Roman world? That wasn't Paul's goal. But in the church, they're going to live out that there is neither slave nor free, Jew 
nor Gentile. You're all under the foot of the cross. Let's let's make a YouTube short. Okay. I'm I'm a I'm an aggressive unbeliever, and you're evangelizing me, Pastor Johnson. And I say, yeah, yeah well, the Bible endorses slavery. Huh? Well, I would say First Timothy one ten says that slave owners, and the word there is is kidnappers, those that steal people for the purpose of enslaving them, have no basis to be part of the church of God. They should be expelled. So God clearly condemns the kind of slavery we knew in the United States. He condemns it, condemns it as wrong and sinful. But then Paul goes on to offer forgiveness to all those who put their faith in Christ. And by the way, in First Timothy one, it's not just slave owners and kidnappers who are condemned. It's it's also those who revile their parents, the sexually immoral. There's a whole list of sins. He goes through the, the Ten Commandments there. There's a whole list of sins that when you violate, you deserve God's judgment, just like the slave owner. Yet, praise God, there's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. See, you just can't see because you're witnessing to me. You, you, you just kind of brushed away my polemic and turned it into a gospel presentation. That is so pastoral of you. <laughs> me up there, son. <laughs> I, I think that's outstanding, actually. I, I wish more shepherds had the heart of an evangelist that always want to be proclaiming the gospel. So the next time, Pastor Johnson, somebody says that the Bible endorses slavery. No, because you're thinking of slavery, the American institution. The Bible does talk about a relationship that is radically different. And the Bible is opposed to mistreatment. It's opposed to violence. It is opposed to owning people in perpetuity and certainly to kidnapping them. So the accusation is just downright false. Pastor Johnson, continue to be a good shepherd, continue to be a great evangelist, and keep writing stuff for Cripplegate because I can use your material like nobody's business. Uh, thank you so much, brother. You're great. This is Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are grateful for those of you who have donated to us in the past and you have helped us in our mission of standing firm in the gospel by reaching millions of people all over the world. Your donations and your giving have been a blessing to us. But can I be honest with you for a moment? We want more of you. Kind of like that old friend who just will not stop asking you to come to their backyard barbecue. But we're asking for a good reason. We need you to come alongside us as an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner. Why? Why? 
because we believe in the power of standing firm together. Coming to Gospel Partners is not just about supporting our ministry financially either. It's about joining together in our mission to preach the gospel, equip people to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. It's about being a part of something that is bigger than yourself and making an eternal impact in the lives of others. Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called a curse for us. When Adam sinned, all creation came under a curse, and everyone who breaks God's law is cursed. But Jesus bore our curse on the cross so that we may receive the blessings of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Church News. Although I'm tempted to talk history, but not going to do it. I think I've come to a conclusion that every impression of George Bush isn't. It's actually an impression of Dana Carvey doing an impersonation <laughs> of George Bush. It's probably that's not we all good. He's got a more George Bush persona than George Bush actually had. This is Wretched Radio. Let's tackle some church news, shall we? Do you hear those bells ringing? Now you're saying. That can't be America because now we just hear Islamic calls to prayer. No, this is a bell ringing in England. It's a death knell. This is a headline from MSN. The Church of England's death knell is ringing. Why? Because they've so moved away. The majority have moved away from a biblical ethic. 64.5% of priests in England backed an end to the teaching that homosexual practice is incompatible with Scripture. That's two-thirds, y'all. That's the Church of England. The bells are ringing. A study of, this is from MSN, by the way. The headline is, The Church of England's death knell is ringing. The study of clergy shows around half are not sure that their churches will be holding regular Sunday services in a decade's time. Ding, ding. And it's not because of a money problem. 
They have massive endowments to the tune of 10.2 billion pounds. The Church of England, they got some land, they got some property, they got some cash. What they've got is a strain from the Bible problem and people aren't digging it. They don't, they don't, there's no reason to go to that. Wait a second. So everything that you have to offer is exactly what I'm seeing uh, through HBO. I don't need it. HBO's more entertaining. Thank you very much. The Church of England, the death knell is ringing. And it's, it's, a, it's a bad sign for Western civilization. It's a bad sign in England. But know this, I'm telling you, Jesus is true to his word and he's building his church there is a lot of good work that is going on in Great Britain. There are a lot of good churches that are that are going up in Great Britain that are Bible-teaching churches, and people are coming. In fact, my buddy, Ludi, okay, this is in England, but it's close. He's in Ireland. He sent me some pictures of Steve Lawson. Steve Lawson must be traveling throughout Europe, and he's preaching in England, and the place is filled to see him. Why? Because people want Bible teaching. Be encouraged, Pastor. Stick with the Bible. Don't compromise. Don't capitulate. And don't 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 let the world seep into your church. Besides, not only is it not biblical, it ain't gonna work if you think that it's gonna buy you some time before they they want to shut you down. Don't think it's gonna work. And speaking of shutting down, let's go to Armenia. No, not because we're going to talk about decisional regeneration, but the nation of Armenia in 301 AD, it became the first country in the world to adopt Christianity as its state religion. So, Jimmy. Yes. Would it be then fair to say that we've got a lot of reformed people in America who are Armenians? (laughs) See what I did there? He did. The church relation. Okay. So, Armenia has, it predates actually. Constantine's edict to legalize Christianity. It didn't make it the religion of the state. That happened about 60, 70 years later. But it, but it, but it legalized religion. Armenia won 301. It became the first state religion being Christianity. Well, guess what? The Armenians, boy, have they experienced genocide. And guess what? It's going on again. There's a blockade to the only road connecting Armenia to a region I can't pronounce. And so food, medical supplies, other essentials are not reaching 120,000 people, mostly Christians. (sighs) This group of Christians is not months or years, but mere weeks away from extermination. The situation could not be more urgent. A line of 19 trucks, 360 tons of food, has been parked for two weeks waiting for permission to cross the corridor. Natural gas has been cut off since March. That's got to be fun, and won't it be great this winter? And other energy supplies remain spotty at best. Families separated, surgeries canceled. Please be praying for brothers and sisters around the globe who are being persecuted. A reminder... The world doesn't discriminate. You got a cross, they don't like you because they didn't like the one who hung on that cross. This is a study about pastors. I think, maybe possibly, I referenced this a few days ago. As pastors age, majority struggle to find mature young Christian successors. Uh Uh-oh. 
average age of a pastor in this country is 52. And that ain't necessarily bad as long as you got a bunch of people in the funnel. But it appears that that funnel is not as full as it once was. And so they are wondering, well, who's going to take our place here? Researchers found 75% of pastors somewhat agree with the statement it's becoming harder to find mature young Christians who want to be pastors. Only 16% of pastors are under the age of 40. Whoa. Just wondering, possibly. This, this, is, this is not by any means to besmirch seminaries at all. But perhaps an encouragement to local churches to be fostering future replacements for the pastor inside of your church. Now, send them off to seminary if you want to or train them up there. Either, either method, I think, is perfectly acceptable. But I wonder how many churches actually identify young men to say, let's nurture that. Let's grow that. Let's mature that. I know we got a lot of stuff going on, but if we want our pulpits to be filled, um, we might want to be thinking about what the local church could be doing to grow some pastors up. And speaking of filling pulpits... Can you guess where I'm going with this one, Jimmy? <laughs> the Masters Academy International does just that internationally. These are seminarians from the Master Sem. They go back home and they teach other pastors how to become pastors. I was just reading the newsletter from Johnny Gravino. Ah, uh, uh, what's the name of the island off of Italy? The Italians love to go there for summer vacation. Not Sardinia. Is it Sardinia? Uh, it's an island off of Italy. And there were a number of Christians there who actually invited Johnny to come over. Uh, they're going to be doing some training in this very underserved island. And uh, they, they're going to have to put up with the glorious scenery. So sometimes it isn't easy to be a teacher at TMAI. But it's just an encouragement. TMAI, I'm telling you, they're crushing it. They are planting these seminaries, these little mini seminaries around the globe that are training pastors that's something we can be encouraged by, even as we pray for our brothers and sisters. If you want to support the great ministry of TMAI, you can do that at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Hey, guess what? What, Jimmy? You were right. Wow. Could you? I'm sorry. Wait, my thing cut out. What did you say? <laughs> you were right. Cut out again. One more time. <laughs> you were. Okay. Okay. Sardinia is right. Oh, was I right? Yes, you were. How did you how did you unearth that that quickly? Google is my friend. I see. So you are artificial intelligence. Uh, when the, well, Got it. I'm, I'm tracking with you. Israel, archaeologists, we don't need this, but we've never had an archaeological discovery that contradicted the Bible. Remember, we don't base our faith on archaeology. But we should anticipate that anytime archaeologists dig something up that is defined or described in the Bible, it's going to be accurate. And it always has been, including now these steps. The Pool of Siloam hasn't been seen for 2,000 years. It's going to be open to the public for the first time in the near future. Oh, the Pool of Siloam, we saw magnificent healing there. Isn't it always, was reading through Acts. Yeah. I'm reading through Acts. <laughs> Just trying to remember where what I'm reading. 
because uh, I just finished up Acts 17. He's in uh, Thessalonica. Um, he's reasoning with people from the scriptures. The Messiah had to suffer, die, and rise from the dead. He's then doing open-air preaching in the Areopagus. He does some great gospel presentation work there. But was reading through some of the healings in the book of Acts and how the Pharisees, they knew and that, that these healings happen. Hey, look, a great miracle has happened here. We know that this could catch on. How do we stifle it? What? How's about, hey, maybe we should change our mind and receive the good news that our Messiah has come? No. What's the moral to that particular story? Miracles don't really convert people. It's the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing not from miracles, healing not from archaeological discoveries, or conversion. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. When you witness, you can bring your archaeological evidence that the Bible is accurate, but the only thing that's going to convert a dead human heart is the word. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>